This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode nine of Good Beer Matters. I was brewing about every other weekend, so about 20 to 24 times a year I was brewing and uh, really just kind of honing in on some style. I'm looking at a beer and, and smelling a beer um, to to have discussion points, you know, with friends or to spark uh, curiosity. Just because a brewery is big, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. The inverse of this formula is also true. Home brewers and small breweries often make very good beer. In the case of Robert Masterson of Resident Brewing in San Diego, California, the beer is phenomenal. In this episode of Good Beer Matters, we continue exploring the world of small breweries, their evolution, and their challenges. Thank you for joining me as we head to sunny San Diego to live like a local and drink like a resident. Will you kind of tell us your tell us about your origin story getting into brewing? Yeah, so it basically started from uh, the home brewing side. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law, my sister Jenna and my brother-in-law Jimmy, uh, bought me a homebrew kit in 2009. Uh, I started um, brewing with a neighbor down the street, and uh, he was doing some extract brews. And I uh, started started brewing with him, um, going to festivals, uh, joining homebrew clubs, getting kind of more into it, and uh, kind of broke away from him because our schedules didn't really match up, <clears throat> and kind of just kept on taking it to the next level. Um, the homebrew clubs, you know, was an opportunity for me to meet kind of local homebrew legends like Ken Schmidt and uh, Kelsey McNair and, and Paul uh, from Rip Current. So it was just a, it's just a way for me to meet um, kind of like-minded individuals, uh, talk about beer, talk about process. Um, and what know, were the names start, of some of these homebrew clubs beer. that you joined? Uh, yeah, so the, the first one I joined was Society of Barley Engineers, and then I also joined Coif. Uh So I did those. Think about two or three months apart, um, just really just wanting to, to, you know, meet more people um, and kind of just get as much information as I could. And what what were you, uh, I want to kind of fill out the, like the, uh, forgive me, I want to set the scene, you know, um, what were you doing and where were you living when you first got this homebrew kit? Uh, So Carlsbad, California. So it's uh, North County of San Diego, so just uh, maybe 30 miles of downtown San Diego is uh, where I live in, in Carlsbad. Yeah, so I got it, and I got my homebrew kit in Carlsbad. So yeah, just brewing, homebrewing in the backyard and uh, 
you know, bringing growlers of beer to friends, family, homebrew meetings, kind of anywhere I could. And what was the beer scene like in, in uh, Carlsbad when this happened? Uh, my favorite places to go in that time was Pizza Port, um, Alpine, uh, Stone, um, Green Flash, um, and a few others. Um, there, there wasn't, there wasn't um, obviously, the, the mass amount there are now. But there was a good, I would say, 30 or so. Um, but they were, spread, they were spread around the county. So, you know, San Diego's a pretty big county. So I was, you know, I would go and try beers, and and if I liked them, I went back more. Which I'm assuming everyone does kind of the same. Yeah, that that's the uh, the typical wash, rinse, repeat. If you like it, return. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, so here we are back in the story of uh, you are home brewing and uh, spending a lot of time with homebrew clubs, and um, you know, take it from there. Yep. So basically, um, you know, once I kind of started. Ramping up, I was brewing about every other weekend, so about 20 to 24 times a year I was brewing, and uh, really just kind of honing in on some styles and um, entering competitions. You know, um, you know there was some local competitions, San Diego Fair, um, some other ones locally, then, then the uh, Homebrew Association uh, competitions, first round and second round festival or competitions. Um, yeah, just just trying to keep on keep on improving, and um, and uh, then 2013 rolls around, and uh, a, a couple of buddies of mine in the homebrew club uh, wanted to join or wanted to enter the HA comp, which is uh, a homebrew comp uh, with with Stone Brewing, and uh, so my buddy Ryan Rashawn and Peter and I were talking about it. And uh, we decided that we wanted to brew a basically a pina colada IPA in uh, 2000. I think it was 2012. We we started talking about it. Uh, from there, uh, Ryan and I brewed that beer a few times. We entered it in the Stone AFA comp, won the competition, and uh, got the beer on Stone system. It was a I think we did 12 batches, so 12 120 barrel batches, which was the largest at the at the time for stone during uh the collab so you uh, didn't brew, brew so i'm sorry to interrupt you but you didn't brew just one time as a as a perk of the winning the competition you brewed it again how many times uh well yeah we did but stone brewed it 12 times yeah so we went in for the initial brew the single the single batch but um they have uh well at the time at least they had 360 barrel fermenters so they're triple triple batching into each one of those. So we went into the, for the initial brew day. Uh, they, you know, they knocked out the first batch and then they kept on brewing it. I think they kind of staggered a couple of the brews. I'm not exactly, we didn't get all the details of, um, like the brew schedule. Mm -hmm. I think they did maybe like two fermenters full. And then like a week later, they brewed some more kind of to keep on kind of pushing it through distribution. Which, by the way, congratulations. I know that was some time ago, but that's still, I mean, Stone Brewing in San Diego is probably akin to Deschutes where I am or or Dogfish Head over in the Northeast. I mean, that's a very big deal. It, it was. It was the kind of the, the most glamorous homebrew, you know, local you know, homebrew comp around. And, um, yeah, everybody that was winning them before were, were pretty much 
uh, well known and well regarded in the homebrewing scene. So definitely super exciting to win that. Um, it was fun working with Mitch and the team, Mitch Steele when he was at Stone. Um, it was a fun, it was a fun process. Um, the beer didn't quite turn out how I would have liked it, but it was still an awesome process. And, and, uh, you know, having the bottles go to 40 states, um, that was, it was, it was great. That was kind of like watching your baby grow up and, and move on and travel the country. Yep. What, what was the uh, public response to your Pina Colada IPA? Uh, I think everybody was pretty excited about it. Um, I, I don't know if they, you know, I think they kind of wanted more coconut, which I wanted more coconut flavor as well. Um, but that size of system, the kind of, uh, the amount of coconut that we would, would require was, was quite a bit. So, um, not exactly sure if they used what we had suggested or not. Kind of hard to tell. Um, but we, I remember one meeting that we had with Mitch and, um, uh, Ryan and I brought a homebrew in and we tasted ours and we tasted the stone one and like we kind of like knocked, knocked, uh, Mitch off his, off his seat. He's like, wow, this, there's so much coconut in here. <laughs> so that was, that was funny, like looking back, but also like, well, we can still do this. We can still make this happen. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to overstep my bounds as far as what, you know, I was making stone do, but it was still, uh, it was a great, great time, great process. Was it kind of like you got the keys of the kingdom, but you didn't get a free run of the joint? Yeah, there was still some, there was still some uh, doors locked <laughs> that, uh, that that we, we weren't allowed to go in, and I, I didn't want to. You know, I, we did as much as we could, and we, you know, we we tried to be respectful of Stone and and doing everything that that they did for us, but uh, but that's kind of what inspired kind of the next chapter was. Uh, Kind of taking that that homebrew recipe and uh, making it a reality on a commercial scale. Well, and that's the and that's the part I want where I want to go next is tell me about that. Uh, tell me the story of that transition from uh, you know significant award winning homebrewer to hey, let's go pro. And if I if I remember the story um, either on the website or what Scott was telling me was that um, this wasn't like a career change there was kind of like a dipping your toes and kind of easing into this process but please correct me if i'm wrong but tell me the story about going pro and starting resident yeah so there was a comp right after that there was a carl strauss um, competition which is a, a pretty good size here in, in in san diego um i think they only distribute in california so you may not have heard of them or not oh um, I, I, there was a i'm from san diego i know carl, carl strauss very oh, yeah. well okay so, um, so there was a Carl Strauss competition right after, so it was kind of early 2014, I believe, and uh, I ended up winning first and third in that competition, first for a double IPA and then third for an English barley wine. And uh, basically after that, you know, my brother-in-law Jimmy's like, we got to get your beer to the market. This is, this is a great time. This is a great opportunity. Um, let's, let's go find it. So, so Scott uh, Dixon, Jimmy, and I kind of started working on um, what what would that look like? You know, is that going into Miramar, which is a um, uh, you know warehouse and industrial location in kind of central San Diego? Um, is that a good place? You know, there's already there's already breweries already there. The the square footage is cheap for rent, and um, 
you know, let's make it go over that way. Um, and so basically Jimmy was just kind of looking all over the place and, and uh, found a great opportunity with Mina and Brendan, which are, are two more of our partners in the, the resident ownership team, and uh, decided to kind of gut the local, which has been around for 13-plus years, uh, add on the brewery space, which is adjacent kind of, you know, one's on one street, on one's on the, the local on 4th Avenue. We're on C Street, but we're kind of adjoined as well. So it's, um, we have a glass wall between, between our, between the two kind of suites, as, as you call it. Um, so yeah, we, we basically, uh, you know, gutted the local, uh, revamped it, took it from, um, kind of an older looking to new and bright, uh, vibrant, um, modern up, kind of a little bit more upscaled as well. Well, and uh, again, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but give me just a brief synopsis. I mean, I know the local has a little bit of history in downtown San Diego, which downtown San Diego is quite a backdrop to try an endeavor like this. But tell me a little bit about the local. Uh, so the local, I'm not familiar with the local as a long time um, patron. I, I really only really knew of it a couple times before before getting involved. Than obviously now, um, but basically the local's been around for 13 plus years, and it's a uh, a beer craft beer bar. I wouldn't say it's completely craft. Um, unfortunately, we have some long-standing, um, uh, you know, patronage to some other brands that uh, I wish we didn't. But that's that's not part of my decision. That's, that's that it was the kind of the, the previous ownership um, have some prior commitments. And um, they wanted to keep those going, so uh, so it's a basically it's heavy heavy craft, but some other other things in there as well. Uh, we have uh, 52 taps in the front bar, and uh, that's kind of a mix between uh, my beers and everything else. And then all in the back bar, we have 18 taps, and those are all my beers. Excellent. And and just as a reference, I, I'm fairly familiar with downtown San Diego. I practically grew up in Horton Plaza and that's a different story, but, um, but, uh, you're just a couple blocks away from Horton Plaza and what else is nearby? What, what other, uh, notable, um, landmarks? Yeah. So yeah, Horton Plaza is just kind of a, a block that's on Broadway. We're on fourth and C. We're also on the trolley tracks, um, right on C street. Uh, basically it's called like the business district of downtown San Diego. So it's not quite, um, gas lamp. It's just kind of before gas lamp. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're right in the thick of things. So, so someone could have one beer too many and, and literally go outside and grab a trolley and head on home. Uh, definitely. Yeah. We're, I think one block away. So it's either on fifth Avenue, there's a trolley stop or on third Avenue, there's a trolley stop. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's very, it's uh very close and convenient. That's cool. Um, so tell me what what were some of the challenges of trying to get this uh, endeavor started? Uh, Scott shared with me some of the story. Um, it sounds like it was uh, um, uh, an interesting process, but by all means, uh, share with me some of the uh, the challenges that you guys had trying to put the resident in, into the local. Um, no, I, the only like really major one I remember is uh, some SDG and E issues. So the you know the the local power company here in San Diego, we had some issues that they basically dug down in into the concrete that we kind of dug out because we were going to pour a new slab. 
and uh, CG&E decided that wasn't going to be up to code, and we had to kind of work around that issue and build a uh, kind of like a like a wall of electricity, sort of like a, there's a whole panel that's outside the building and a, kind of a whole wall that's inside the brewery from from the outside all the way to the local space. So um, that was kind of a pain. Um, obviously, additional money, additional time. I think it was like a six or eight week um, setback on time. But I, I think it was kind of kind of normal things. I guess you'd say it was it was everything from from money, from lack of experience on my part. Um, kind of knowing what I'm doing here, you know, as we're going along, I, I, I basically designed and, and built a brewery without knowing anything. So I kind of ask questions as I go along, ask friends, ask other brewers, um, ask the equipment manufacturer and just kind of, just kind of put it where it was. And, uh, it's, 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 it's worked out so far. Were you still able to uh, remain in contact with uh, the folks over at Stone Brewing to get, uh, uh, tips and and how to get things started. Um, I don't think I ever I ever reached up to Stone. They're you know they're a, a behemoth in the in the San Diego scene. So I was reaching out to smaller folks that were more you know they've got a you know fully automated automated brew system and um, everything's hard piped and they're just they're twenty years ahead of of me as far as what's going on. So I was. I was asking the you know local smaller breweries that were more my size um, for for tips and tricks and and best practices. Gotcha. Um, well, and, and Scott gave us a, a tour of your of your brewery. Um, I don't think you were there that day, but we did get to see the setup and the and the challenges, especially of just of just moving kegs to the cooler. Um, tell tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So. Uh, basically, we have some um, basement space in our in our suite. Um, so we come in or on on C Street. Um, that, that we have two doors coming into the brewery, and then um, that's where the brew house is. That's where all the fermenters are. We have a small office in there as well. But then our cold storage, our grain storage, our CO two, um, other miscellaneous things are all downstairs. And um, so we have a fairly large cutout in the floor. It goes from um, the brewery to downstairs, and we currently have a just a like a hoist or a uh, you know pulley type system um, that's that we're dropping kegs and pulling kegs up, and we're dropping you know four to six thousand pounds of green, you know every every grain order downstairs, and repackaging it. So it's 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 a lot of manual labor. Um, yeah, we don't we don't have a space. We don't have space for a forklift, and even if we did. The only thing that we would be able to really use the forklift for is kind of for stacking and unstacking barrels. We wouldn't be able to really use it for, you know, moving grain around or anything like that. So, yeah, we got we got a manual brewery and a manual way of lifting and getting our kegs and, you know, dry goods and hops and everything else out. And if I remember right, I think he shared with, with us that um, it was like a minute round trip just to get it from your level to downstairs and back up. It is. It's not. It's not. It's not fast or efficient. <laughs> but it's. Uh, it's kind of what we have. We we had planned on a elevator on Fourth uh, Avenue, which is the, which is kind of like where the local is. The the basement goes all the way out from kind of C Street all the way out to Fourth Avenue. So it's this long corridor. Um, but as we're going through the process and. 
spending more and more money on the on local and spending more and more money on the brewery. Um, it was just out of the question to spend the fifty to sixty thousand dollars for this the proper um, elevator that would go in there. So you're saving that for your Christmas list one day, I take it. Um, yeah, we're actually going through the process of trying to solve another, you know, basically solve that with a different issue, with a different solution. Yeah. So we'll see if we can um, find something that's more efficient or more kegs or faster or all the above. So well, and another, we're working that in the process. And another interesting dilemma that you guys have to deal with that many, many breweries don't even have to think about is right out your brewery door is the trolley line. And so you really have one, one street uh, where you can get, I mean, get rid of your spent grain and hops and effluents and, and dealing with that in the center of a major, major downtown San Diego in the, in the country. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I, I would imagine that we have a very unique spot as far as um, delivery. You know, mo- most breweries have uh, multiple, uh, you know, bay doors where they just open it up and drive a forklift right in, the grain in and out, um, spent grain in and out. But we don't have any of that. We, we, uh, we have a, basically a sidewalk outside on C Street, and then right out, you know, past that is the trolley line. So we basically have to park or double park on fourth avenue and um yep they'll drop they'll drop the grain wheel it up the sidewalk wheel it in the you know into the brew house and uh we take it from there so it's it's very it's very manual and um yeah we don't we don't have any really a way around that at this point other other than maybe uh bribing the the meter readers with uh really good beer yeah, we've got multiple tickets from from the San Diego meter people. They 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 get mad at us all the time for for being <laughs> being in spots down there. But it's 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 industrial. It's you know we're we're a manufacturing company. We we have trucks and we have a van where we are loading up our kegs and unloading empty kegs. So it's kind of just a part of business. Yeah. Um. So tell me a little bit about how did you come up with the name uh, Resident. What's the story behind that? Uh, well, we had, I don't know how many meetings. There was maybe a half a dozen meetings on names. We had enormous text strings of names and kind of put them all together and just just tried to kind of hammer it out. Went, went, we worked with a marketing company to kind of go through them and go through the whole process of a, uh, not a business plan, but a marketing strategy type thing. Um, but the actual, the name actually came from, um, my cousin, Jessica. So, uh, so that was one of the names that was on the list and it kind of came down to two names and uh, that was the one. So yeah, my cousin, Jessica, she's the one that, uh, thought of the name and that's the one that stuck and that's just trademarked and we've had it ever since. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any relation, I mean, resident and the local, is that just pure coincidence or, or was that part of the reason why it made it to the... The final round. That uh, I'd say the latter. Yeah, it's it's part of the reason why I made it to the last round because it did kind of fit in with the local, and um, it, it had a good ring to it, and we we thought it just fit well. So that was mo- most likely why uh, we chose that name over over any of the others. All right, uh, so Robert, I've just got a few other questions for you, and we'll and we'll wrap this up, but. Um, 
But I want to hear about you, uh, some of your favorite, either one or some of your favorite beer moments, um, especially if you have um, kind of that, that every beer drinker has kind of like an origin story of of this, I call them gateway beers, this beer that just opened up your eyes and made you realize, oh my God, I love beer. I need to find more. What story do you have to share along those lines? Um, I guess I started getting into craft beer from actually from a buddy of mine. Um, he he had stone a uh, stone IPA at his house for a barbecue or something. I'm not even sure what year, 2006, 2005, somewhere around there. Um, I I always you know even uh, even even my younger days when uh, we had just turned 21, buddies and I would go to uh, Bevmo or something and go, okay, we'll get a six pack of this, we'll get a six pack of that. Just all kind of random stuff, you know, some uh, Pete's Wicked Ale or whatever, you know, type of stuff, and just try different stuff. Um, and um, so I've, I've always always been interested in in different flavors. Um, kind of got uh, away from it, you know, being in college. You kind of just you kind of just drink or you drink, just cheap stuff or whatever. It wasn't really a thought. Um, then once um, once I started, you know, the, the family and um, kind of a little bit more uh, more income where you can, where you can spend some money. Um, that's when kind of the craft beer side was more interesting, and I wanted to try. You know, once I had the Stone IPA, I wanted to try all of the IPAs, you know, anything that I, I can get my hands on, especially stuff that was local, you know, go to the tasting rooms and, uh, you know, speak with, with the tasting room people and brewers and et cetera. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, then kind of like tagging onto that, uh, tell me about an experience you had where just the, the and, and granted the, the reason why I ask this question is, is more for my podcast and, and I'm a certified Cicerone and beer is wonderful, but beer and food together is just, is a gift from God in my, if you, in my opinion, if you ask me, um, so tell me about a moment or just a, a food and beer pairing that just parts the clouds and lets the angels sing for you. Yes. Yeah, see, uh, see, food and beer to me, sometimes, uh, I don't know. I think a lot of times, I don't know if it's the chef's piece or the, the brewery side is pushing, but I feel a lot of times they are maybe trying a little too hard. I, I really just enjoy having um, the, the beer, like, I don't know, like, if you say, like, a pairing, but the pairings um, can sometimes be, look good on paper, but aren't executed as well as uh, as you would have hoped. Actually, I was at a, at a beer dinner last night at, at Urge, and they had this, this killer black cod, this miso, I think it was, like, a, a miso black cod that was, the, like, the most amazing piece of fish that I've ever had. But then it had a... a, a of interesting pairing, but I thought that I would not have chosen for it. Um, but the beers were, were, were good and the, all the food is really good. So the, 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 on the food and beer side, I'm not sure if I've had a well, you, amazing moment together. Well, I'm sorry. You kind of left me hanging. So they had this black cod. What beer did you have with it that worked? It or? was, I believe so. I, I was, I was going to say what I thought, but I wasn't, I, I didn't want to misspoke, but I'm pretty sure it was a, it was a what kind of porter was it? I think it was like an imperial porter imperial stout, and I just thought it was kind of an interesting pairing 
Um, and sometimes those do work really well, well, where you have kind of contrast and, and, uh, versus, you know, a, a Sunday or something, you know, some, some dark chocolate and a, an imperial stout. But I think it was an imperial stout and it was just the, the stout was a little drier and pretty roasty ashy, um, versus like some of the imperial stouts where they're a little on the sweeter side, um, you know, more residual sugar. Mm. So, so this I was a little bit more the, on the dry the Irish side. It was. It was. It was to me. It, t- it tasted like an imperial Irish stout. It was really roasty, ashy, um, and the beer was good. But it was just like it just the, the pairing seemed like it wasn't quite where I would where I was uh, hoping for. Gotcha. So I actually just t- tasted some other beers. They had a they had a um, a barrel aged strong nail that I thought tasted a lot better with the cod, but still it was, it was a it was a it was a pretty pretty incredible night. Um, great great food and uh, great beers. That, that's fantastic. Um, a couple other questions. Um, one is in the vein of of how beer can affect us as culture, how it can affect our relationships and our moods and our beer and food pairings, whatever it is. That that's kind of that's where this next question comes from. But the question is. Why does good beer matter? Good beer. Why does good beer matter? Um, I think to me, why I think good beer matters is I don't want to drink boring, um, really things that I don't enjoy. I guess um, I, I most of the time are drinking um, alcoholic beverages, beers to kind of taste the nuances, um, think about the beers. I'm not just, I'm not just, uh, consuming a liquid for uh, a result. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at a beer and, and smelling a beer, um, to, to have discussion points, you know, with friends or to spark uh, curiosity of like, well, what did they use in there? Um, so really it's, it's, a it's a talking point for me. It's something that, that, that interests me and uh, I like like uh, discussing with people. Perfect answer. Thank you very much. Um, last question is, do you have anything you want to add to any of this? Um, so, yeah, this is going to be in a few different places. So, yeah, if you're ever in San Diego, um, there's lots of great beer in San Diego, but come check us out. We're, we're downtown. Um, inside the local 1065 4th Avenue. Uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. At uh, Resident Brewing is our is our handle for all of those. Um, we're doing uh, some fun stuff. I'd say a good amount of the time. You know, we have some core beers, um, and then but we're also you know trying to uh, try new styles. We we just brewed a grisette with uh, with Epic. We did a collab beer with Epic. Um, we're we're trying to do a decent amount of collabs here and to wrap up 2017 and, and go strong in 2018. So yeah, just having fun with our friends, trying new styles, um, exploring, you know, new hops, new, 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 new types of hops, like these cryo or lupulin powder type of products. Um, so yeah, it's definitely going to be still interesting, um, for the foreseeable future. Excellent. And what's the website where people can uh, check you out and watch that killer video? Uh, residentbrewing.com. That's, uh, 
<laughs> which, which video are you talking about? Because we just actually released uh, a little spoof video uh, yesterday, I think. <laughs> I, I haven't seen a spoof video. I just, okay. I've, I've, I'm only aware of the one that uh, kind of uh, kicks off the website experience. Yeah. Which that's yeah, really that, what it is. Yeah, I mean, you guys have a great website because websites are just informative. They're a landing page so people can find out more. You guys have created that into a uh, a, a cool experience. So congratulations to you guys and, and the team that you had put that together. Yeah, there's definitely, in my opinion, I, I still want more in the website, but it's it, we're we're doing so many things all the time. It's hard to keep up. Um, so yeah, to to stay with. With us and probably most breweries these days is to be on social media. It's, it's on our Instagram to, to find out what's going on. You know, what are we what are we up to? Um, you know, who are we collabing with? What special ingredients we might be using? Um, yeah, and fun spoof videos like the one that's, uh, that's up right now. So go take a look. Awesome. Yeah. If if uh, if time were a commodity, then I would have started this podcast uh, probably in the spring. But um, you know, you know, here we are. But Anyway, thank you for um, sharing your story with me for the article. Thank you for sharing your story with me for the podcast, and um, and all of you. I tasted all of your beers, and they were all spectacular. But uh, two really stuck out of my mind. The Golden Kiss Saison was fantastic, being a Saison uh, fan. But um, yeah, I. I, I kind of go in and out of uh, love with uh, IPAs. It kind of depends on my mood and the season and the IPA. But that vacation coconut IPA that you brewed just rocked my world. It was fantastic. So th- thank yeah, you. That- thank you for brewing some amazing, amazing beer. Sure, yeah. The, the vacation will, uh, I'd say, 95% of the time be on top. So if uh, people are interested, yeah, we... we we try to keep that one on. Um, we, we try to limit the amount of, uh, you know, days that it's on, you know, in kegs. So we're brewing it every, like, two to three weeks to make sure that it's always fresh and, and the new batch is always coming. So Perfect. Well, if you ask my kids uh, what are the things I, I love most in this life beyond my family, then they will tell you beer and coconut. So that was just perfect for me. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much. Have a wonderful night and uh, take care and keep brewing. Uh, thanks. Cheers. And cheers. To paraphrase one of my favorite movies, Ratatouille, not every home brewer can be a great pro, but a great pro brewer can come from anywhere. Robert Masterson could easily have been that guy who made that beer that all his friends love and left it at that. Instead, he put in the effort and the passion to grow and share his vision with anyone willing to taste something better. If you ask me, that is the hallmark of a craft brewer. In the next episode, we continue our series on small breweries and head back to Oregon, where in a town surrounded by forests, one can have good crack and get squiffy on a fresh pint of British-style real ale. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and leave a rating on iTunes. Better yet, send me an email at jeremy at goodbeermatters.net and tell me what beer stories or knowledge you'd like to hear more about. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.